0: Romans chapter 5. Remember the days of game shows and outrageous game show hosts? You know, you've won 10-day trip to Paris, and you'll be getting there on your new jets, you know? You'll be cruising the streets of Paris in a new car. Everything feel like that? Wait, but wait, there's more. That's how Romans chapter 5 feels, my friend. Wait, there's more. In the first four chapters of this book, chapter 1, Paul lays out this very important truth that we understand. He focuses on the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? They're not the Jews. Everybody that's not a Jew, raise your hand. You're a Gentile, okay? And every last one of us is lost, we have all sinned, we are condemned in our sin, we are deserving of God's justice. Paul makes it clear. You can't be good enough, you can't work hard enough without God, it is hopeless. It says the same thing in uh, chapter 2, chapter 3 lays out the judgment, chapter 4 how We make it right. Now, we learn this new theological term, and I hope it's clear in our mind. It is the word justification. You know, we we often hear that word in the sense where somebody's just trying to, you know, say, well, I didn't do it. Well, it's okay that I did it because uh, these circumstances, they're trying to justify themselves. And what does that mean? To say they're right, they're righteous, they're clean, they are not guilty. But the Bible says the only way for us to be righteous is by faith in Jesus Christ. The word justification means to be declared righteous. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he looks to you and says you are righteous. Your faith in the economy of God equals righteousness. Your works... Prove nothing but the truth that we are all sinners. Is it not true? Anybody here claiming they've never sinned? I mean, even within the last week? We are a sinful people, but God is a gracious God. And what is grace? We throw these words around and act like everybody knows what they mean. It is unmerited favor. In other words, you have done nothing, not anything, zippo. To deserve this. This is an act of God's grace. And God's grace is demonstrate us to, demonstrated to us in the most amazing way in that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin and to rise from the dead. That's love, my friend. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The argument Paul has made through these first four, uh, through the first four chapters is this. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't go to enough church services. You can't volunteer for enough things. You can't do it. Our only hope is in Christ. So when we come to chapter 5, Paul kind of steps back here and says, But wait, not only has God rescued you from eternal separation from God, eternal torment, not only has he rescued you from the penalty of sin, there's more. And take a look with me, if you will. In verses 1 through 11... Paul lists out for us the blessings of our justification. God declaring us righteous because we trust in him. And again, trust, very important. I grew up thinking believe and trust, you know, all of these words. I thought it just meant believing it's true, you know, as if I'm just now convinced it's true and that's enough. That's not the point here. The word faith means dependence upon. It means leaning your weight completely upon. It's what you do with your bed at night. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't keep one foot on the floor just in case. Oh, no, my entire weight is rested. And that's what it means to trust in Christ. I got no plan B. I'm not hoping that's enough, but I'm also going to do a few other things here and try and make people think I'm more than I am in order to think maybe I can fool God. You can't. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. And the thing about faith, you can't hide it. It always shows up. Because what we believe determines how we behave. Yes? Of course it does. Everybody agree that? I'm just going to presume you are, okay? (laughs) Friends, take a look with me here. As Paul begins to list out, in light of the fact that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I hope that you have, this is what comes along with us. Verse 1 of Romans 8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace What is peace? Peace is more than just the absence of warfare. Peace is that everything is right with God. Beforehand, there was hostility. We looked to God as though he did not matter. We proclaimed in our actions, I will do whatever I want. Thank you very much. And God is angry at sinners. You want to know how God feels about sinners? I know we like to, well, it's just his sin he doesn't like. Yeah, because when the Lord decided to flood the whole world and kill everyone, that was just their sin he was mad at. There's not two parties here, my friends. Well, there's my pal's Sin over here, and then there's just me, and he's really the bad influence. Don't work that way. Doesn't work that way. But because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't talk your way out of it, my friends. Trust in Christ. He's our only hope. But you will notice also in verse 2, these are all blessings of our justification, having been declared righteous through faith. We have access to God. Look at this, verse 2. Through him, that's Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to God. You know, there are just some people in the world, no matter how much you want to see them, they ain't going to see you. They are too busy for somebody they never heard of. But there is no one on top of God. It is that promise, that invitation in the book of Hebrews, that we should come boldly to the throne of grace to seek mercy in a time of trouble. Jesus said, When you pray, and you know why he said that? Because he will. I mean, you have access to God, God is listening to you, God has encouraged us to pray just had an event yesterday without too many details a number of people were asked to pray and they did and god heard and answered these prayers and we celebrate that because god cares he hears and he answers and we have access to god now let me tell you what an enormous thing this is in the old testament First, God told Moses to build a tabernacle. You know what a tabernacle is? It's a tent. It's a great big tent made with leather skins. And God gave them the design of this, the entrance in all of the sections, and in the very center of all of it was called the Holy of Holies. And every year, they put a, a new uh, a covering in front of that, where the door would be. And ultimately, that thing became like this thick. You know, and, and it was a warning to everyone, you do not come into the presence of God. You know what happened when people did? God killed them. They were not Righteous. But here, because we have been declared righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ, God kicks the door open and says, come. Now, when you think about that, how amazing that is, that the God who spoke and created all things, the God who is perfectly holy, the God whom one day we will stand before and give an account for every thought, every word, every action, that God says, come on in. Tell me what's going on. Wouldn't that seem silly that we wouldn't be people of prayer? I'm glad that Family Bible Church is. So we have peace with God, verse 1. Verse 2, we have access to God. And what we see here is a pattern the past is taken care of we are have peace with god all of our sins have been cleansed from us they have been god sent his son to die in our place the wages of sin is death and christ died in our place our substitute that takes care of the past Now we have access to God. That takes care of the presence. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you are wrestling with, you do not wrestle alone. Go. You have access to God. Pray. Plead. He hears and he answers. We've dealt with the past and the present. How about the future? Look at the end of verse 2 here following the comma and there's more and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god because one day we're going to see it our future is settled friend you may not know what's going on to tomorrow but if you're trusting in christ and you read your bible you know exactly what's going to happen in the future we will be reconciled to god book of revelation chapter 21 says it he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow or death because these old things have passed away glory that's our future you want to talk about the blessings of justification How about this? We have peace with God. We have access to God and we have hope in his glory. But you will notice here in verses 3 and 4 that some of the blessings of our justification are we have assurance from God. Boy, you can't get a promise worth a nickel from people today. Because the weather changes and things change and their health changes. But I'll tell you what, when you have an assurance from God, it's just going to happen. Take a look here what he says. He says, the realm of our assurance is this, rejoicing in suffering. Look at this, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not only do we rejoice, my friend, in the hope of God's glory but we rejoice in our sufferings. And maybe you say, well, I don't. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, my friends, if you knew this truth, you would. If you knew the truth, you would. Take a look here with me. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How? How can we possibly rejoice while we are in agony? Listen to this. Knowing that the suffering produces the purpose of suffering is for god to accomplish something in our life that cannot happen when you're laying on the beach and you don't even get a sunburn my friends there are only some things that can only be done my friends than while you're hurting i mean think of romans eight twenty-eight, often quoted be misunderstood Paul says the very same thing, he says, and we know, we may not see it, we may not understand it, but we know this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and here it is, to be conformed to the image of his Son, There's the purpose. God is shaping his people. Friends, from the moment you trusted Christ, however many years ago, you want to be looking more like Jesus. And I'm not talking about in the mirror. I'm talking about in character. In the kind of person you are when nobody's looking. To be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glory. Friends, that's your future. No matter what's going on in the stock markets or how you're feeling when you roll out of bed, what is for sure is this. If you are trusting Christ, it's glory all the way but we know these things we don't have to sit back and wonder why does my knee hurt what have I done I haven't played football in 30 years but I stand up and it's popping like popcorn and what's going on I'll tell you what there are only some things that God can do in the midst of suffering when things are hard and we already know that our first response to such things is to cry out to God right because, God, I'm going to need your grace for this. God's riches, God's strength, God's provision, all a part of his grace. I'm going to need you to walk through this, Lord. Teach me what I need to know. Show me what only I can only see from my knees. You see, that's the purpose of suffering. When I was a new believer... I thought, well, I'm, a, I'm God's child now. Nothing can happen to me. And then I got a tumor on my pituitary, and then I got radiation that caused a brain tumor. <laughs> well, maybe I should rethink that, or maybe I should read the Bible. Yeah. There was no escape, my friends, because this is part of the process of changing us from the inside out. And so, my friends, we have... Assurance from God, knowing that suffering produces within us. Look at what it says. It produces what? Endurance. Now, verse 4 and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know what the word hope means? Not what you think it means, my friends. When you're a kid, oh, I hope my dad isn't home yet to see that mess I left out in the. There's no. There's no hope in that. At least in my case. Hope means expectation. It means based on the promises of God, this is what you are anticipating. That is the hope that we have, that God will fulfill his word. And we can hope in it. But notice... It produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, my friends. And that leads to our fifth blessing of justification. We experience God's love. We experience it. We don't just learn about it and read stories about it. We experience it. And how do we experience it? Love, look at verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, someone communicates the gospel, they lay it out for you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't any exception except Jesus And the wages of sin is death. Now death literally means separation. That's what we experience when someone dies. Separation. It's the separation between the body and the spirit. But it means more than that. Separation from God. Separate from his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his joy. And all of the blessings that even the unbeliever experiences in this world. The rain falls on their lawn just like it does yours. The crops grow and the unbelievers feel just like it may yours. Their tomatoes, just as red as yours. Separation from all of God's goodness. That is the wages of death. or The wages of sin. It's death that's some pretty bad news huh we're all sinners and we all deserve death hell but there's good news remember what the good news is this is good news seems like it's an understatement to me it is this Christ died in your place Christ died for our sin and was raised from the dead that's some pretty great news look You've got the death sentence over you, and someone says, I'll take your place. That's pretty great news. That, my friends, is love. You know, we think of love in terms of, no, you go ahead. You take that parking place. I'll keep driving around. It's okay. Christ died for your sin, and he rose from the dead. Yeah. And now what? I got to go climb up a mountain on my knees. I got to cut my fingers off. I mean, what do I got to do to be forgiven? Trust Him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is the whole thrust of the New Testament. This is why Jesus came to forgive us of our sin and to pay the cost Himself. That, my friends, is love. And so the moment you put your trust in Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I don't know how that works. I don't know what part of us. But I'll tell you what, my friends. The Spirit of God indwells us and never leaves us or forsakes us. He leads us. He guides us. He gives us wisdom. He convicts us of sin. He does all of this work from the inside. And he convinces us and makes it clear. Leading us into all truth. Like the fact that God loves you. I don't know how the rest of the world feels about you, my friend. But I know how God does. He loves you. And he's proven it in his actions. So we experience God's love. And it was greatest illustrated, my friends, on the cross. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak... (laughs) Sinners, my friend, with no hope. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is an amazing statement that literally makes chills go up and down my arms and down my legs and in my ankles and my right toe and the one in the next to the big one. <laughs> my friends, how amazing is this, that God would die for ungodly people? I mean, you might think, Maybe it was that nice person, that teacher you had in second grade who was always kind and, you know, maybe that one. But for the ungodly, tell you what, friends, no other choice. If he was going to die for anyone, it would be for the ungodly. That is grace. Unmerited favor. That demonstrates the love of God because like, there can be no other motive. You know, it's not owed to anyone because we are sinners. But Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. Astounding. Astounding. And look what Paul says here in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. And we don't deserve it. That's grace. Mercy, withholding the judgment that we deserve. Grace, giving us Jesus. And so, my friends, we experience God's love. And here in verses 9 to 11, we are saved from the wrath of God. Look at verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We are saved from the wrath of God, my friends. More than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Enemies of God, reconciled. And beyond that, we are adopted into his family. Paul will talk about that in the next section of Romans. The adoption in as sons and the, the the way the word of God uses the term sons well that's because God used it that way but it means this the place of honor in the family God takes the ungodly wicked sinner like you and I he sends his son to die for you and be raised from the dead And declares you righteous if you simply trust in him. How great is that? He gives you his Holy Spirit. He declares you righteous. And he's preparing a place for you in his home. To adopt you into his family. Tell me there is a greater love than that. I've never seen it. Here in verses 12 to 21... Paul reminds us yet once again the basis of our justification. In verses 12 to 21, this is the conclusion to the argument that Paul has made in verses 1 to 5. Mankind is hopeless in their sin, leading to death until Jesus died for their sin, rose from the dead, justifying many by their faith in him. And the way he does this is he goes back from the beginning. Where did all this sin come from anyway? You'll notice here in verses 12 to 14 the ruin of mankind. You see, sin came into the world through Adam. Adam is our federal head. He represented all of humanity there in the garden. So verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. The dog has the nature of a dog. That's why dogs do what dogs do. And cats, well, it's sin nature, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) Not a big fan of cats myself. But but hey, to each his own, right? But notice, sin brought death. See the connection there? Sin, the wages of sin is death. And death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you know why we sin? Because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we come into this world with a sin nature. It is an appetite for selfishness. Selfishness is the very heart of sin. I want, I will take, I will go, I will do whatever I want. And sin brings death. And death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, verse 14... Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. Now here we, we get this uh, term, type. <coughs> Adam is a type of Christ. What in the world does that mean? It means that they are similar in one way or another. How is Adam similar to Christ? Because of their great impact on other people. Now, we know that Adam impacted all of us because we are now having a sin nature. We have this craving and desire for ourselves and only us. And so how is Adam like Jesus? In the same way that Adam impacted negatively the world, the Lord Jesus Christ impacted also many. Take a look. This is the argument. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And notice here, verse 15, we've seen the the ruin of mankind in 12 to 14, but here in 15 to 19, we see the rescue of mankind. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. They are the same in the sense of their great impact. And the free gift, you will notice in verse 16, is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift, we're talking about the Lord Jesus dying for our sin, that free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned and through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of the righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many will... Actually, all were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many, not all, will be made righteous. What a difficult, complex argument we have here. What Paul is saying here is, look. Look at what Adam did. It it almost seems silly to tell this. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Very clear, crystal clear. But they looked at it, and they said, it looks good. It looks like it would taste good. So Eve took it. She gave some to Adam. They ate, and they lost everything. They were thrust out of the garden, and sin entered this perfect world. Simple, one simple act, and the impact contrasted with Jesus one act to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And think of the impact. We've just laid it out here. The blessings of justification, access to God, peace with God, all of these things. And that, my friends, results in the reign of grace. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, God's grace is sufficient to cover your sin. You may sit here today and say, Well, not me. You don't know what I've done, Pastor, but I'll tell you what, God does, and you know what He says? God's grace is enough. It's enough. It's enough. So where sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, and it leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. And until we think of a better word than amazing, we're going to keep calling it that. Amazing Grace. God's great gift the sacrifice of his son is there a greater act of love in the history of humanity and the answer is no surely someone may lay down their life for someone they love someone they they found endearing and good and kind and surely I would but for the wicked Remember that one person in high school that just really, would you die for them? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He died for you, my friends. He died to pay the penalty of your sin, that you might trust in Him, that He might adopt you into His family, and have you live with Him one day. That's grace. let's wrap it up friends justification justification through faith in jesus christ results in peace with god and access to his great grace so the application must be here this morning trust in the lord jesus christ if you have never put your faith in jesus christ do it today Consider all that you have just heard, all that you know about the grace of God, and trust him. What does that look like? It looks different for a lot of people. There is no secret code, or if you say these ten words, trust comes from the heart. We can express it through our mouths. Remember, trust always shows itself. God, forgive me of my sin, and give me this new life and he will. Trust him. Trust him. Put your trust in Christ. Lean hard on him. Hold nothing back. And then let's encourage one another to lean on Jesus. If we've been saved by faith, my friends, we ought to live by faith. Trust him. Encourage one another to do the same then finally, it's becoming a pattern here, my friends. You ought to tell somebody else about this. You ought to tell somebody else about this. What if no one had ever told you? Where would you be? How much do you have to hate somebody to withhold this news? To not go knock on a door and say, look, I need to talk to you about something to pick up your phone and say hey do you have about 10 minutes i got to tell you something that changed my life how much must you hate somebody not to do that friends act today don't put it off till tomorrow you'll forget as much as you're convinced of it right now you will forget about